Thanks for joining us for Life Vineyard Church. All right, good morning, you guys. On this beautiful, sunny, gorgeous February morning, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's very life-giving. So my name is Liz. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Life, and I hope you go enjoy it um, after I'm done speaking. I'll, I'll hurry it up, maybe. No. Uh, so we've been talking about three things that our souls long for, and that is goodness, beauty, and kindness. Goodness, beauty, and kindness. What even comes to mind when I, when I say those words? You know, I love the outdoors, and I'm often running out in Lake of the Woods. Man, if this town didn't have Lake of the Woods, I would be a sad person. But we have this beautiful forest, and I'm always in there. And I love the beauty of Lake of the Woods. But I also love the beauty of driving and seeing the open landscape of the country and um, I love the beauty that I see in people. I love the kindness that I see in my church family, the ways that you guys give um, and self-sacrifice and are generous, the way you speak life to one another. I see God's goodness all over my life story. His, his goodness has followed me and pursued me my, my whole life long. Goodness, kindness, and beauty are three realities of God's presence. They are his very nature. But there's a lot of times where the world doesn't feel like that, right? We can feel distant from those experiences. And that's because we live in this fractured world. And so we've been going through this uh, book series by Rich Velotos where he, he talks about that reality, the fractures in our world. And he reminds us that we carry the stress of our fractured world in our body and in our relationships. And that to return to God's presence, to return to the good, beautiful, and kind God it does take some intentionality, right? Because we have a world that is not returning us to those realities of God's presence. And in fact, he talks about the three things that are constantly fracturing our souls and the world. And we've talked about that in the beginning of this series, and those three things are sin. They are the powers and principalities and trauma. And he talks about how those things are always working to fracture us and move us away from the good, beautiful, kind God. And we talked about how sin is this failure to live in God's love, to stay rooted and grounded and fulfilled in the love of the Father. And that a failure to love turns us inward on ourselves and makes us bent towards ourselves. And we produce sin and brokenness, and we experience that from other people bent in on themselves, and it's messy. And then we talked about powers and principalities in the unseen world and how there are forces that are always influencing you away from the love of God. And there 
are, there's deception that is working in your disordered desires that are trying to take ground for Satan's team and not take ground for the kingdom of God in your life. And, and that is a reality that is happening, whether we're aware of it or not. And then, and then Greg walked us through how we can have residual, residual trauma from painful life experiences and how those things in our body and our, and our life, we have to bring them to Jesus for his healing, for his soothing, for his care. And so we're talking about the, the good, beautiful, kind God and the three realities that are, are fighting to tear that down. And so how do, we, how do we turn the ship, right? And that's what we started last week. Uh, Dan invited us into this practice of contemplative prayer. And that's how, that is one way that we walk towards wholeness. We walk towards the good, beautiful, kind God. You know, I, I think of contemplative prayer kind of like this image from my life. Um, so most mornings, uh, I will get up early before my kids. Anybody enjoy doing that, getting up early before your kids? When, when the house is quiet, it's blissful, right? Um, so, and recently, this is, this is how nerdy I am. I recently, my uh, electric kettle stopped working. I won't tell you why, it's my fault. But I had to get a new electric kettle, okay? And I got one that has Wi-Fi and Bluetooth that I can heat up from my, from my bed. <laughs> so that when I walk into the kitchen, it's already at the perfect 205 coffee temperature, and I can use it to um, do my pour over. So that is my morning. That's not the experience of contemplative prayer, but it could be um, <laughs> because I really like it. But after I go through that ritual, then I go to the ritual of sitting in a, a chair um, and I have an electric blanket that I got for, uh, <laughs> for my birthday, I think. Um, and uh, yes, I, I'm living a real posh life here. Anyways, I sit in this chair and I have some time with Jesus. And when my household wakes up, one of the first people in my house to wake up um, is Chloe, my three-year-old. And she dashes out of her room and she comes to my chair and she loves to just sit with me and snuggle, right? It's so beautiful. It's so perfect. And she likes to snuggle for quite a while before she's ready and interested in breakfast. My other kids are like, I don't want to get up. You know, they're at that stage. But she is still in that three-year-old stage. And I, I see that as kind of like contemplative prayer, right? We're bringing ourselves to Jesus, and we're just sitting there with him, our whole selves, to be grounded, secured, rest in his unfailing love. And that's it. There's nothing to do or produce or get out of the experience. It is just the safety of God's love surrounding you. And when we open ourselves up to God in that kind of capacity, he has 
uh, the space to work in our souls. And so we're going to talk this morning about lowering the internal walls of our heart. Because when we do that, when we let our guard down, when we lower those interior walls, it feels vulnerable, but it's the place that we are moldable. And I'll tell you a little secret to the Christian life, that our souls are built in Jesus through seemingly insignificant ways. Okay, we often, you know, we think of Christianity, we want the Holy Spirit to do his like whammo, bammo kind of things where like all of a sudden we're turned around and completely healed and everything is fixed and on the right track. And yeah, the Holy Spirit does work in whammo, bammo kind of ways. (laughs) But it's the everyday work of the Holy Spirit that, that starts building our souls and forming us more towards Jesus. And often those habits of of praying, of reading scripture, of just sitting with Jesus, they can seem insignificant in the moment. You might not even feel like anything really happened from that time. But it's the, the consistency over time that starts forming you differently, that starts forming you in Jesus. And you notice, you will notice after you put in those habits into practice and you do them, that you, you do, you start changing, you start responding differently. You might start thinking of truth over a lie. You might respond in a stressful situation differently than you used to because of those insignificant habits that form you and change you. So we're going to look at being formed in humility, lowering our defenses, lowering our internal walls. And, you know, sometimes um, we think of humility just as like doing the, the lowest job, like cleaning the toilet. Oh, I'm really humble if I just do the thing that no one else wants to do. But humility is more about lowering your defenses right? And choosing to be somewhat vulnerable. So what do high internal walls look like? Well, high internal walls look like having a hard time navigating conflict. Have you been there? (laughs) Finding it really hard, maybe even excruciating to receive criticism from another person. Have you been there? Being like filled with anxiety over a disagreement, like you just can't shake it if something, if something was said about you, or you have that oof with somebody. I mean, the list can go on, but high interior walls are self-protective in nature, right? We're protecting the false self. The false self is like all these walls built around us like a fortress, right? And our true self is like, all the way here in the middle. (laughs) But we're trying to project an image to the whole world that this is who we are, and don't come near it because I'm going to be offended if you poke at it, right? It's the image that we portray to the world, the image that we've constructed, the one that we have to continuously prove is true about us. 
And the false self is under this deception that it's completely our responsibility to secure that identity. And it's all up to us to look good and to keep up those pretenses. But Rich Velotos, the author of this book, he tells us about the true self. He says, the true self is the place within us where we are found securely wrapped in God's love and have no need to project or protect it. The true self finds its identity in something much deeper than human words or uh, in human words of approval or criticism. The false self is incapable of this level of freedom, but it's where most of the world lives from. Isn't that true? And Jesus invites us to live out of our true selves, the true identity and nature that he has given you, which is vulnerable, which is often like brave and scared at the same time, which is obedient and disobedient at the same time, which is bold and full of anxiety at the same time. He knows that our true self is, is not this propped up thing of the false self that we want everyone else to believe. Jesus's nature is humility. He is a humble and kind savior. Like, un, like anybody you would ever say is humble, Jesus is the standard beyond belief. And he invites us into that kind of living. Jesus says, you know what it takes? It, says, it takes coming to him. This is what he says in Matthew 11, 28, 29. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. You know what's a heavy burden? Propping up the false self. That's a heavy burden. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is one of the few scriptures where Jesus is, he is describing himself, and the heart of, the heart of his heart is humble and gentle. That's who he is. If you were to poke the bear at Jesus, guess what you're going to get? Humility, kindness. You're going to poke the bear at me? You're, what are you going to get? <laughs> Ugh, a little defensive, a little fighting, right? That's, that's sometimes where I go. Just ask my husband. <laughs> but Jesus is humble and kind at heart. That's what oozes out of him. You have to really, 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 really poke at Jesus like the Pharisees did to get a different kind of reaction or response from Jesus. He is humble and kind at heart because Jesus lived a life of low defense. He never came to this earth to prove himself, which if anybody could just like wield his power and prove himself, it would be Jesus. But he didn't come to earth like that. He did not come to prove himself. Paul, he tells us the attitude of Christ just continues on 
this theme of humility. And Paul tells us, emulate Jesus in this attitude. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Oh, false self. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to, right? Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. He went low, the lowest of low, the low. He didn't defend himself as he was dying on the cross for us. The angle of humility that we desperately need for our fractured world is seeing it as the ability to live freely from the false self, living free from the defensiveness that closes us in on ourselves. That's what Rich Veloto says. And that's how Jesus lived. Is there somebody or uh, like a figure that you know a lot about, like an athlete, um, a musician, maybe it's a fictional character. You know, if I gave you the floor right now and I invited you up, gave you the mic, who could you tell us a lot about, like in 10 minutes? Um, I was on a date the other night, Friday night, I think, with Dan, and we went into um, Fresh Market, I think, is a store, and he pointed out, like, hey, that's the energy drink that this disc golf player drinks. And I was like, cool, you know? Um, Dan knows a lot about disc golf players because that's one of his favorite sports. And, you know, so it's that kind of, like, nerdy knowledge. I'm sure there's somebody that you know a lot about. Now that I've embarrassed Dan, you can ask him about uh, maybe who his favorite player is. You know, he listens to those podcasts. And I'm just like, oh, <laughs> like listening to sports radio. Anyways, when I was a child, I used to really like Garfield, the comic strip, okay? I had um, lots of books of Garfield. I would sketch Garfield. I really liked Garfield, okay? Um, and what I can tell you about Garfield is, well, he's a cat. Um, he likes to sleep a lot, okay? He loves to eat. Um, he, he hates Mondays. He's really annoyed by getting up and dealing with life, you know, as a cat. And uh, he would, like, rather nap. He's really sarcastic. He's often um, mischievous and up to, you know, some kind of prank. Um, he's an ornery character, right? And just to, to show you some of his uh, characteristics, I pulled up a few comics. Oh, you, 
It might be hard to read them. I'll read them for you. You seem to be in a good mood. Out of respect for the fact that you are wrong about everything, hmm. I relate to this. Okay, continue. <laughs> Our neighbors are circulating a petition complaining about all the annoying things you do. I know. I stole it. Yep. It would be wrong to pull Odie's tail and then kick him off the table. What are you doing? Making a list. You should try thinking of others. How's it going? This is going to take some time. I think that Garfield probably needs to listen to a few more of my sermons, right? Okay, so he's, he's a little bent in on himself, right? Uh, <laughs> he's kind of selfish. He only really thinks about himself. Um, but here's the thing about knowing Garfield or knowing about a disc golf player. You know, you might know about them and what they like and what they don't like and things like that, but the knowledge is kind of surface level, right? It's not an experiential knowledge. Well, first, uh, Garfield is not real, but I've never spent time with him, lived with him, you know, Dan's never uh, spent time with his disc golf player. He just knows. <laughs> okay, we can, we can argue about it later, but I will be right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, there's a difference between, you know, surface knowledge and experiential knowledge. And think about your relationship with God. There is a knowing about God, a knowledge about God, but then there is a, a personal knowing of God that goes deep, that's experiential, that affects who we are. And our true selves are found in that experiential knowing of God. Because our false selves just want to work on self-improvement and hiding and propping up those best things about ourselves. And, and sometimes we want to even hide to ourselves. We only want to see certain parts of ourselves and kind of ignore, neglect, be oblivious to the others. Pretend like those broken, wounded sides don't really exist. That we don't, we don't really get as easily offended and hurt as we really do. And, in, you know, we've been conditioned like this since childhood, right? That we bring our most acceptable selves to the family and to the table and to society. And we kind of conceal our deficiencies. But as we expose our weaknesses, our, our vulnerabilities, our sin to God, he has the ability to transform us. That's the experiential knowing of God. When we lower those interior walls where we're, we have to keep it up, we just lower it, it feels vulnerable, but that's where God does his best work in us. Matthew 5, 3, one of Jesus' famous sermons, he, said, he says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You know, it means like if you come to God 
poor in spirit, weak, inadequate, vulnerable, guess what you receive? You receive the kingdom of God. You receive all of the God life. You're brought into belonging. When you come to God, lowered, humble, vulnerable. We're going to look, as we finish up here, about Peter's transformation. Peter was a disciple of Jesus, and we can kind of see in his story how he went through this transformation as he brought his real self to Jesus. Jesus calls Peter the rock, and he tells Peter, I'm going to build my church on your leadership. But as a rock, he was kind of crumbly and weak in the beginning. He was quite fragile. But Peter, he, he takes the invitation to follow Jesus. Jesus finds him fishing, and he invites him to follow him. And, and Peter, in an act of faith and, and hope in who this man is, decides to, to leave his vocation and, and follow Jesus, hoping that he really is the Messiah. And Peter, his self-knowledge about himself was, was probably low. He, he was a little impulsive, a, a little hot-headed maybe, and he really wanted Jesus to be the guy that was going to rescue his people, the Jews, from oppression. But he only knew a certain amount of his fear and his pride at this point. And as he walks with Jesus, they become a lot deeper, and he realizes the depth of, of his depravity, of how, he, how deep into fear and pride he really can go. There was a moment in Peter's life where he was with some disciples in a boat, and it was, it was really stormy. And Peter, like many of us, was concerned about his immediate safety, right? Like, we're, we're going to die out here. We're going to be shipwrecked. We're going to go in, and that's it, you know? And then, all of a sudden, he sees Jesus out on the water, walking towards them in the boat. And he calls, and Jesus calls out to them, don't be afraid. And, and Peter, like, impulsively is like, Jesus, you tell me to come out there, and I'll come to you. And, and so Jesus does just that. He invites him out to the water, and, and Peter just bravely gets out of the boat and starts walking towards Jesus. But then as soon as he starts paying attention to the wind, he starts sinking into the water. That experience, like, is probably, um, it's it's deepened his miraculous understanding of Jesus, that he's been doing these miracles, and now he just walked on water towards Jesus. And so his faith is growing in Jesus being indeed the Messiah. But he also realizes his own weakness, his own fear in following Jesus, that he's distracted at times, wanting to look to other things than just Jesus. And then later, Jesus is washing his disciples' feet, and Peter immediately is like, no, Jesus, you cannot wash my feet. Almost like a false humility, right? Like, you can't do that. And then Jesus reminds him, you know, if I don't wash your feet, you don't really belong to me. So then he just, okay, well, then wash my whole body, Jesus, okay? He just swings from one extreme to the next. 
And then later, Jesus is talking about his departure, and Peter is just convinced, like, Jesus, I will die for you. Like, it doesn't have to be this way. I'll do whatever. I'm going to follow you to the end of my days, Jesus. And Jesus just kindly reminds him, or, or tells him, really, that he's going to deny him. And he would find himself in great anguish over that. And so it happened. Peter didn't follow through on his great loyalty that he propped himself up. He found himself betraying Jesus, denying that he knew him. And he found himself in a very, very dark place. He was confronted with the depth of, of his, his treason, his betrayal, the depth of his fear of what he could really do. And so he's confronted with his most despicable self. And so in that moment, after Jesus dies, and Peter has denied even knowing him, he's, he doesn't know what to do. He goes back to fishing back to his old job, because <laughs> what else is he going to do in such a low moment of his life, you know? And so one night he's out there fishing, catching nothing. He's depressed. It's awful. <laughs> and then he sees someone he recognizes across the shore, and it's Jesus. Jesus has been resurrected, and he's waiting for Peter across the shore, and, Jesus, and Peter and his impulsive self starts swimming, starts rushing towards the shore. And he gets there. And now Jesus, in the same way that Peter denied knowing Jesus three different times, Jesus gives him this new invitation of, Peter, do you love me? Three times he invites him back into this love relationship. And what do you think Peter knows now after experiencing all that? And I just gave you like the fast-forwarded version. Is he's let down his walls. He's betrayed Jesus in the worst kind of way. And he's standing there with Jesus, reaffirming his love to Jesus. And now he has the most deepest experiential knowing of Jesus that he forgives, that he loves him, that he brings him back into the fold. And he's ready to follow Jesus all over again with his whole self, his true self, knowing the depth of where he can go in his loyalty and his betrayal, right? He doesn't have to pretend anymore that he's Jesus' most loyal follower that will never do anything wrong. He knows. And yet he still belongs and chooses Jesus. So as we go into worship, I'm going to invite, oh, it's Joe. Joe, back up. And we're going to turn off the lights. And my um, call to action this morning, we're going to do it real quick. It's a gospel meditation. And basically what this means is you can take any story from the gospel and read it imaginatively, where you picture yourself in the story and you, you put some flesh on Jesus, right? You give him some 3D 
knowledge instead of just reading scripture. You could take any story and read it imaginatively. And so this is where we come back to the heart of our good, kind, beautiful God. And we know it in, our, in our, the depths of who we are. So we're going to, you can just close your eyes. And we're, you're going to imagine that you are Peter in this story. And you are in the lowest place of your life. Having denied knowing Jesus. After walking with him for three years, after seeing him being crucified, you've completely betrayed him. But then you see him. You see him on the shore. And you go after Jesus. And when you arrive on that shore, Jesus is cooking you breakfast. He has warm fish and bread waiting for you. And so you eat with him. And you're not sure yet if you can really let down your internal walls because you've just betrayed Jesus. And you know and he knows. And you eat in kind of an awkward silence. But then Jesus turns to you and he looks at you deep into your eyes like he knows it all. And he says, Simon, son of John, which is another way of saying Peter, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you reply. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus tells you. Jesus repeats the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus says. A third time, Jesus asks, Simon, son of John, do you love me? At this point, you feel slightly hurt that he has asked you a third time, but you reply, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus says, then feed my sheep. And in this moment, your walls are completely down and you're vulnerable, but you feel the perfect love of Jesus inviting you right back, right back in to lay your life down, to follow him, to love him, and love others. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of Jesus. Nothing in all creation. And you know that. At Life Vineyard Church, we want you to experience the life-changing presence of God 
We'd love to have you join our community. We meet every Sunday in Muhammad, Illinois. To find out more, go to lifevineyard.org, lifevineyard.org. Oh, hey, you're still here. You're like one of my favorite people. The kind of person that like sticks around after church while everybody else has left. Like you're still one of the last ones talking. You're like the podcast version of that person. And while I have you here, uh, if you didn't know, this is Pastor Dan. Uh, while I have you here, I just want to say, hey, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to come to life if you're in the central Illinois area. If you're listening to this outside of central Illinois, go find a vineyard church. Vineyard churches are amazing places. Go find one near you. And if you're not near a vineyard church, then uh, just find a church, a community of believers that you can be involved with, be in community with. I think we are our best spiritual selves when we are in community with other people who are following Jesus. That's what the church is for. So we hope to see you here. And if not here, go find a community of believers that you can get involved with this week. All right. Thanks for listening. See you later.